Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, great show for you today. Uh, it's what's on everybody's mind. Um, this, is a, this is a topic that keeps on giving. We're going to be talking a slightly different. I've done a couple of shows uh, a year ago. and you know, This is the one-year anniversary, approximately, of the murder of uh, Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> I'll be talking with my guest about murder versus suicide, but he died approximately a year ago. And now, of course, um, his potential co-conspirator or uh, alleged co-conspirator, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, is, uh, she is in the news and in jail <laughs> while she's in jail. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, Secrets Revealed, Abuse Victim, Bride of Epstein, untouchable, question mark, question mark, question mark. And we are going to be talking about her um, and Epstein with the person who, if anybody knows what happened or is happening, it would be him. (laughs) And that is Dylan Howard. Dylan Howard is called the king of Hollywood scoops and one of the finest journalists writing today. He's a media executive extraordinaire and award-winning storyteller author, filmmaker, podcast creator, and TV executive producer. Uh, all, all around overachiever. As a man with uh, unprecedented access to the facts and a reporter who is one of the most feared journalists in Hollywood, investigative reporter Dylan Howard has cracked open scandals and solved mysteries that were unsolved to others. And he is the author of a number of bestsellers, all the... Uh, all the scandals and questions that we want answered to and most relevant to what we're going to be talking about today is his book, Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Spies, Lies, and Blackmail. <laughs> and that it's dog not just is, me, uh, Dr. Carol <laughs> Lieberman. It's my dog as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let's see. You know, I have been watching, and I'm sure you have also, or I would assume you have, been watching these last couple of nights uh, on Lifetime, the story of, um, what did they call it? Um, surviving. The surviving, yes. Surviving Jeffrey Epstein. And, you know, which bu- really bugs me, surviving. Um, I- I'd love to hear your, your opinion about this. You know, I know that the they called it that um, presumably to make the um, victims more willing to come on and talk and to empower them and so on. But really, um, I thought that these women were very muted, that in fact, um, perhaps, you know, they thought they had to be tough and show that they were real survivors instead of victims. But someone who didn't really know the depth of what sexual abuse does to a person would think that these women were okay now and had had a good life for some period of time when they were with Jeffrey Epstein. What was, did you watch those and what was your opinion? Look, I have not watched it. Uh, I must admit that there has been somewhat of a television overload when it comes to the Epstein case. And I do think that um, a lot of the coverage is now outdated due to the fact that uh, Ghislaine Maxwell provides a new dimension into the particular case. Um, so I haven't watched it, but I do subscribe to the notion that, um, that as you mentioned, um, it, it suggests that, that, that victims of his crimes are, are uh, cured almost from everything that took place. Now, that, of course, mm-hmm. is not anything like reality and I know that because I've actually I I personally know one of the victims um, of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell and and her life has been anything but uh, a result of it sure she is uh, still living and breathing but her entire life was destroyed by the actions of these two 
And the simple reality is that, you know, these, these uh, individuals were able to uh, conduct this criminal enterprise on uh, American soil without uh, impunity for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it really, it, it is amazing. I mean, I was reading your book, and um, so, you know, to think of how so many people knew, and yet so little was, was done, even um, in 2008 when he was, um, you know, he did have to face some music. Um, what I'm interested in is, uh, well, there's so much that's interesting, but, but the, the child, you know, as a psychiatrist, what particularly interests me is the childhood of both of these people. Um, and so let's talk about um, Jeffrey Epstein for, first. And you, you talked about how he, well, one thing that you wrote that I think I didn't know was interesting is how he was born out of wedlock. They married, she was pregnant, his mother was pregnant when they got married. And I just, you know, that often has um, some psychological impact on the child who wonders whether they were really wanted or wonders whether the parents got married just because of their being born or whatever. And then the mother was a school aide and the father was a gardener and they lived very um, middle class, lower middle class lives, which I think, having grown up in New York, um, I think uh, is at the root of what spurred him to sort of shed his, those memories of, of, you know, a deprived childhood, deprived financially, and, um, and really be mo- so motivated to make a ton of money. Can you tell us what more you have, um, what, what you Look, think he, about that? Look, Jeffrey Epstein grew up in a, in a very blue-collar situation, which, of course, is uh, completely opposite to the life that he led uh, right through until his death, a life of power and privilege and, of course, escaping justice. Um, His family, his father worked uh, for the local council. Uh, His mother was a school aide. And uh, to your point, it was was a very um, quiet upbringing on the outskirts of Brooklyn. And in the context of that, it sure does point and, and give a, an indication into, um, you know, what might shape one's ultimate behaviour in the long run. But I'm very curious to hear your thoughts because I was appearing on uh, a program recently and there was another psychologist that was um, attempting to try and explain the behaviour of Elaine Maxwell and how her childhood may have shaped it and perhaps it's a naive view on my behalf but I tend to be less sympathetic when it comes to trying to find a reason to explain what caused these people to do these heinous things and I, I just I can't help but think to myself these people must know right from wrong. And in this instance, it's quite clear um, that they knew they were doing wrong, but they were able to get away with it. And was the ability to get away with it what fueled their desire to continue to do it? Is that a question? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a question to you. I'm, I'm sort of well, I'm very think... interested in, in your view on it. Well, I think, and I was going to be asking you about this in terms of, I mean, I think both of them had to have been sexually abused in some way. I mean, besides what I was saying about his, you know, being spurred on to make a lot of money because he felt deprived uh, financially as a child, um, I think, you know, the way, and yes, he became a sociopath and and he charmed his way through life. I mean, you know, it was pretty amazing. Um, how hoodwink how he hoodwinked people but but the you know this this tremendous either he was well he was either sexually abused as a child and or he was perhaps manic depressive because that sexual appetite i mean that's where i'm coming from his sexual appetite um is typical of someone who is in a manic or hypomanic phase of bipolar disorder 
and or someone who was sexually abused as a child. Do you um, have any thoughts about either of those? Look, I have no uh, evidence, and nor have I heard that Jeffrey Epstein was sexually abused as a child. Uh, as for Ghislaine, no, I've not heard anything about her either beyond the fact that she seemed to have a ravenous sexual appetite um, throughout the course of uh, her latter years and, and, and uh, bedded a number of, of high-profile men and obviously had what appeared to be an addiction to Jeffrey Epstein. She uh, wanted him... Uh, they dated at one point and she wanted him to be her, her lover. Um, but you know, it, it just seemed like an odd pairing and, a, and one of convenience too um, because it was able to meet both their sexual appetites. Yes. I mean, um, she. it does seem as though... She was willing to do anything to try to get her, to get him to marry her, and um, or at least be with her, um, and that again, not. I, I know I'm sort of sounding sympathetic to her, and I kind of do am in a way, quite frankly, but uh, but she seems to have been. Well, first of all, there was such a father, such an interesting connection to. Um, an attraction to uh, Jeffrey Epstein, not only because he was charming and good-looking and all of that, but because he really was like her father in so many ways who had just died. Well, that's right. Um, in fact, uh, she met... Um, uh, he, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, met uh, Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine's father, uh, very early on in um, her time with Jeffrey, not soon thereafter, Robert Maxwell was believed to have been murdered off the back of his yacht, Lady Ghislaine, in the Virgin Islands. Um, one can only imagine that had a tremendous impact on her life too. Um, the reality was that he was a father like... Jeffrey Epstein was a father-like figure to Ghislaine Maxwell. And, and, and you're right, it's... It's difficult to talk about this because there are victims at the very centre uh, of this, yet we uh, try and understand what it is that uh, spurred these individuals to do what they did. Um, and you can't help but look back through um, the history books of their life to help try and establish what it was that led them down this path of destruction. Yes. Um, and do you think that uh, Robert Maxwell, that her father, uh, had wanted the two of them to be together, had wanted um, Epstein to marry his daughter? Look, I don't know. Um, uh, the reality of the situation was that Robert Maxwell... Uh, was a very corrupt individual and an individual whom um, was not only a media magnate, um, he was an international spy who operated for Israel's Mossad. He owned the Mirror newspaper group and at one point owned uh, the New York Daily News newspaper. Um, he was a complex individual and perhaps in Jeffrey Epstein saw some of himself. Um, quite frankly, you had uh, an individual in Jeffrey Epstein who lived a larger-than-life uh, existence, someone who worked for international arms dealers um, and other people of that ilk and calibre. So perhaps there was an attraction for uh, Robert Maxwell, for his daughter, to fall for someone of Jeffrey Epstein's ilk. I certainly don't think that he would have expected that the pair would go on to cause as much damage as they did um, and leave the wake of destruction behind them as they have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, um, but you know it, it's interesting since since he well 
one of the things that's most interesting is so much is interesting with these these people. I could see uh, I, <laughs> this is not going to be a story that's going to go away anytime soon. Um, but what's what interests me also is that Robert Maxwell, his death is so much of a mystery, whether it was that he was peeing off the side of the boat and fell in, that's one theory, um, or that he committed suicide because it was, he was about to be found out as having stolen a lot of money from the pensions of the people in his, um, I don't know, you'll have to, it was connected to the paper, you can explain the details. But mm-hmm. uh, so, so an accident, suicide, murder, uh, a heart attack, and how ironic that years later, uh, Jeffrey Epstein would have the same kinds of mysteries surrounding his death. Look, um, I think that you have to consider that Jeffrey Epstein inherited the business of spying for Robert Maxwell and for Israeli intelligence. He was uh, not an individual um, who was a self-made... Well, I guess you could say he was self-made in the sense that he ran a classic uh, blackmail operation and honey trap operation for the purpose of um, getting compromising information on various individuals. That obviously came at the expense of the young women who were implicated in the sex trafficking ring, um, which... Uh, makes it all the more perplexing to think about how they ran this operation and how sophisticated it must have been to ensure that they would, uh, you know, there must have been a lot of thought that went into how they were going to build and establish and maintain such a, such a system. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I hear the music. Um, we need to take a break now. My guest is Dylan Howard. Um, his book is Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Spies, Lies, and Blackmail. So stay tuned. And while we, um, when we come back, we will continue to uh, do, I guess you would call it a psychological autopsy on, uh, on Epstein and where <laughs> Uh, Guilin is, um, it's not an autopsy yet, but there are people <laughs> making bets both ways. <laughs> so stay tuned and we'll be right back. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact dr carol lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't write yourself off. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Dylan Howard, the king of Hollywood scoops. Uh, also quite a prolific and award-winning um, journal, well, not only journalist, but uh, author. And um, we're talking today about one of his books, Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Spies, Lies, and Blackmail. But he has several others, including... Um, Royals at War, the untold story of Harry and Meghan's shocking split with the House of Windsor. And I'll have to have you back on to talk about that because I, um, I have my own story connected to the Royal House of Windsor. So we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. Um, but, but getting back to, uh, to Ghislaine and, uh, um, Jeffrey, um, so, so I actually I was reading your Facebook page, and um, you, there was this intriguing uh, post that you had <laughs> that really would be would be uh, an amazing story. If it's not true, it'd be an amazing story on its own. That what if she were married? If, if there's a secret that comes out that she was actually that she finally got her man, <laughs> and she was married yeah. to Jeffrey Epstein. And that now she won't be able to talk because of the marital privilege, although he is dead. So I'm not really sure that that still holds. So under law, marital privilege does survive um, a situation like this. And I, I have to say, what if, with a significant emphasis on the what if, what if as we learned when Ghislaine made a court appearance on July 15, that she is secretly married. She wouldn't name the companion. She's not told the Department of Justice. She's not told anyone inside the corrections facility. Just what if she was secretly married and her husband is none other than Jeffrey Epstein himself? And the pair wed someone sometime prior to his apparent suicide. Now, as conspiratorial as that might sound, such a union could be the ultimate and unforeseen get-out-of-jail-free card for Maxwell mm -hmm. as the notion of spousal privilege, as I said, is not terminated by death. So while others have speculate, speculated, perhaps with more wisdom, that the secret husband is the tech tycoon who is protecting a $10 million fortune, let's not forget that this could be something that, you know, we know that Epstein loved illegal loopholes. We know that he liked to flout the law and attempt to beat it. This would be the ultimate final manoeuvre from someone who seemingly didn't give uh, any concern about anyone else. Now, if this was the case, Dr. Lieberman, um, Maxwell would, would decline her opportunity to testify at trial. The government would be precluded from introducing any evidence that was between her and Epstein, so that would include text messages, handwritten notes, diary transcriptions, plane receipts, emails, etc., which essentially would mean that the case would come down to Maxwell evoking spousal privilege and the jury left to consider the word of the accusers, the three women that uh, at the very core of, of this six-count indictment, it would kind of be akin to O.J. Simpson or Casey Anthony, who both refused to testify and ultimately walked free from their murder charges because the jury was unconvinced by a matter of law that the crime was committed. Um, uh -huh. I, I, I just think that this can't be ruled out as a legitimate concern. Yeah, that would be, you know, that would be like a, a Lifetime movie. I mean, you know, a twist at the end of a Lifetime movie kind of thing. Um, I mean, yes, it would be, it would, it would ensure that the story of Maxwell and Epstein has, has more twists and turns than a Hitchcock thriller. But this is right. the kind of behavior that um, both Maxwell and Epstein were capable of. 
So I don't think we mm-hmm. can rule it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, they have plots like that on um, on uh, Law and Order Special Victims Unit, so it certainly could be... <laughs> It certainly could be the end, the twist to this plot, this story. Um, Absolutely. What, what do you think, uh, what are you, how safe do you think uh, Guylaine is in her current jail? I think she has to be the mo- um, most watched woman uh, or the most watched prisoner in the world right now. Um, the reality is the government uh, can ill afford to have what happened with Jeffrey Epstein happen again on their watch. And um, whether or not it was suicide or murder, uh, the reality is Jeffrey Epstein should never have been put in a situation where he was allowed to commit suicide. He had attempted suicide uh, sometime previously and was re-entered into regular prison population very soon after and um, should not have been. He should not have been given paper clothing. He should not have been given um, uh, appliances with electrical cords, which he was, and he should not have been given uh, pills, which he was, which ultimately uh, allowed him to kill himself. Now, I believe that he uh, was aided and abetted in his suicide and was provided motive to kill himself. That is, someone got to him and told him that he needed uh, to kill himself. Uh, so I think that the government can ill afford anything like this to happen again uh, under its watch. And um, what's playing out behind the scenes right now is likely a fascinating game of brinksmanship between the defence attorneys for Ghislaine Maxwell and uh, prosecutors who really are only pursuing three avenues. One, to try and... Well, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Before you, before you go into that, because I'm, I'm sort of um, uh, stopped by you, what you said about that you think he might have been given a motive to kill himself. What would that have been? Well, here was somebody who was never going to see the light of day again. Um, he was a very dangerous individual based on the information that he had on high-profile individuals. If he was an asset of a foreign intelligence organization, um, the gig was up. He was not likely to see daylight again. And um, as the bearer of those secrets, he was of no value to any foreign intelligence organization moving forward. Um, What would... But what would have, why would he have listened to um, some foreign, you know, organization that he was a spy for, let's just say? Um, why would that have, why would, he, who would, why would he have listened to anybody to uh, kill himself? Perhaps it was to protect his, or attempt to protect his money and ensure that his money went to his family. Um, we don't know the tentacles from the Epstein cell and how it weaved its way around the world. But I can assure you this wasn't just a clean kill. This wasn't a suicide. This wasn't an atypical murder. This was something nefarious and its connections are deeply rooted in the international espionage scene. So are his family, are are his parents alive? Epstein's parents, I do not believe, are alive. The so sole, be I believe his, the survivor is his brother. So that might have been um, who he wanted to get his money. Yeah, I mean, who he yes. would have wanted to that that would have been that that could have been a motive to um, to make him kill himself so that the money would. I mean, it is kind of interesting as you write in your book about how it was only uh, two days or three days before his death 
that he changed his will? Yeah, I mean, there, there were so many curious things about the events leading up to his death, not the least being people saying that he was in a good state of mind and showed no signs that he was suicidal, yet days later he's found dead. Um, and the cameras are off and the security guards are not doing their regular checks. Yeah. You know, I like to say that where there's smoke, there's a new pope. Um, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I tend mm -hmm. to believe that there is much more to this story than, than we know at this point. Yes. Um, yes, there are just too many of those coincidences. Of course, you know, an interesting part from my point of view uh, in terms of being a forensic psychiatrist, uh, the idea, well, first of all, the idea that there, it, wasn't, it wasn't even a psychiatrist, it was a psychologist, and it wasn't even a, um, a licensed psychologist who was the one who saw him when he was in... Um, uh, on suicide watch who decided that he was okay to go back to a regular cell. So, I mean, and also, well, as you wrote, the person spent very little time with him. So, you know, that in itself was, was just, I mean, unethical doesn't begin to explain how bad that was. But, Absolutely. Um, I mean, just unconscionable and so stupid also for the, I mean, assuming, aside from the idea that, that the tentacles of people who wanted to kill him, you know, were reaching into the jail, presumably, but besides that, you would think that there would be somebody who would care about the, um, the reputation of the jail and not want to let that happen, or want to make sure that he was seen by the best of the best or something, you know, to determine whether he was still suicidal or not before they let him back. Absolutely, and, and I think these are questions that the government is still yet to answer, the Department of Justice that oversees the correctional facilities uh, at a federal level, and I think that um, the public is owed an explanation here because at the very heart of the Epstein case and the Maxwell case is that these individuals were allowed to roam free on American soil and take away the innocence of so many uh, young women. And they were able to do that without impunity, with impunity. And we as a society ought to know what the government knew, when the government knew it, why they chose to strike a plea deal, why Trump's Labor Secretary Alex Acosta was told, hands off, this is above your pay grade. These are legitimate questions that the American public have a right to know. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and we ought to be told, yet it seemingly has gone very quiet when it comes to being told uh, what took place with Jeffrey Epstein. We're hearing very little. And that's very concerning. Yes. Um, now, I, there were, weren't there some lawsuits um, against the jail, the prison, or the Department of Prisons in regard to his uh, death? So two individuals, two individuals have been charged with crimes uh, of not effectively doing their job on the night in question and miss, missing regular tri uh, checks of cells and the such. Um, whether or not they're scapegoats or guilty of it, it certainly seems they're guilty of not performing their regular uh, checks. But what we know is that these individuals also were overworked. Many were doing overtime. And um, that if there was something more nefarious at the prison, you would hope that we would get to the bottom of it sooner rather than later. And that investigation that has been pledged by Attorney General, General William Barr has seemingly not yielded uh, any conclusion to this story at a time when we deserve a conclusion because the co-conspirator is facing 
her moment of reckoning. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Well, this is a good uh, place to take a break. My guest is Dylan Howard. Um, his book is called Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Spies, Lies, and Blackmail. We're talking about uh, the duo, the pair, at least. <laughs> Maybe she didn't get him to marry him, marry her. Maybe she did. But uh, at least they will be together forever in this story that will go down in infamy. So stay Sadly, tuned. Yes. You're, listening to Dr. <laughs> You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your questions that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact dr carol lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at one 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about Elaine Maxwell's Secrets Revealed, Abuse Victim, Bride of Epstein, Untouchable. Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> and we're talking with um, Dylan Howard, who, if anybody would know the answer to any of these questions, it would be he. He would know the answer. Yes, he, <laughs> not him. Um, before the let's see, before the break, we were we started to talk about the jail and so on. Um, and I was starting to say about that. I don't think that uh, Jeffrey Epstein has the personality of someone who would have committed suicide um, because he is someone who you know he's really a. Uh, he has like the imposter syndrome. I mean, he is really someone who's been able to get away with things, charm his way around the floor uh, ever since he was really little. And yeah, look, um, you, you, a lot of people have asked me that question, Dr. Lieberman, um, not just as it relates to Jeffrey Epstein, but also as it relates to other high profile people um, that uh, have faced criminal um, exposure and and the likelihood of them seeing freedom is low. Uh, for example, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, um, many people would ask the question of me, did I think that he would commit suicide? And my answer uh-huh. was always, I just don't think a narcissistic sociopath commits suicide. Is that the uh-huh. case? Well, pretty much. I mean... Um Now, of course, Harvey Weinstein is a little more complicated because he does have all these physical problems, um, which, you know, interfere. It's not only jail or prison. I mean, it's also very unpleasant being in there with all these physical problems and maybe feeling that his life is going to be shortened anyway. I I don't know the answer to Harvey Weinstein, but but, um, I think with Jeffrey Epstein... um, I don't think that he would have been ready to throw in the towel yet because there were so many other times in his life, throughout his whole life, he was able to 
uh, bring off the most impossible kinds of schemes and so on, convince the most uh, smartest people of things that you would think, you know, how, how did that happen? Um, I just think that he, maybe if it got to the point, like if he, if he got convicted, I mean, you, the only other thing is that, yes, he wouldn't have wanted his victims to get his money. That part is true. Um, but, but I just think he would have had a lot of hope until it was final, until the final curtain had come down. I mean, maybe even then he would have thought there could be appeals. Um, I just don't think he was ready yet at this particular time to call it quits. He had just met, I mean, in your book, you talk about how he had just met with um, a new lawyer. So wouldn't that lead him to think that there was, you know, new lawyers, they always come in and they talk about how bad the previous lawyers were and how they're going to, they're going to get the person off and all of that. So I think he would have had that on his mind. Seemingly, yes. Um, what we don't know is what the attorneys said. Epstein had believed that the plea deal that he struck uh, with the government in 2007 or 2008 uh, prevented him from being charged again with other crimes, effectively yes. double jeopardy. Um, and yes. that was that was his his defence strategy. Now... The Southern District of New York clearly did not believe that. That's why they arrested him, and they had argued that uh, it didn't apply. It only applied to that one jurisdiction, and that one jurisdiction um, meant that he could be potentially prosecuted in other jurisdictions around the country, some 94 other jurisdictions under the Federal Department of Justice's mandate. So one could maybe assume he was told, listen, Jeffrey, you're not getting out. You're not going to see the light of day again. And, and he made a decision to end his life. Either way, in ending his life, he deprived many of his victims um, of their moment to seek recourse and justice. Now, they obviously will have the opportunity to seek financial recourse through his estate for the crimes that were committed against them. But many of those people wanted him to face trial. Um, mm -hmm. They wanted to see him in the dock. Uh, they wanted to see him in the courtroom. And with the arrest of Ghislaine Maxwell, certainly from the individual that I know that... Uh, is named in the indictment um, when the uh, judge in the case said that Ghislaine would not be provided bail and that she could not um, serve out her pre-trial uh, jail time in a hotel, I received a phone call from that person who was in tears and they were tears of joy because... She mm. believes that Ghislaine will never, ever see the daylight again. And she was over the moon and stoked by the very notion that Ghislaine was locked up. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, let's go back to that. Like at the beginning, I was talking about how in the Lifetime documentary, Surviving Epstein, that um, Surviving Jeffrey Epstein, the um, I really felt like uh, calling them survivors subdued, consciously or unconsciously, subdued the victims and um, caused them to present a much more together kind of picture and not really giving viewers uh, a real look into what um, people who have been victimized by sexual abuse actually go through. So why don't you tell us about this friend of yours who um, is one of these victims? Yeah, listen, I mean, uh, this is an individual who only revealed to me last year that she was a victim of Epstein. I did not know she was also a victim of Maxwell in the sense that Maxwell is accused of being involved in the pedophilia acts with Jeffrey Epstein. Um, what I know about this person is that you know, I would look into her eyes and I would not see the pain that she was quite clearly suffering. Uh, 
she was an effervescent in, individual who, in by her own admission, had had troubles in her life previously, probably as a result of Epstein and Maxwell, um, got herself on the straight and narrow. Um, I think it would be fair to say has struggled to hold down a relationship since, um, but has also been tormented. Uh, Late-night phone calls, threats, cars following her. Um, and this was up until recently, uh, forced to change locations at times. One can only fathom... One can't fathom what it would be like to walk in those shoes. But what I saw in her... Oh. What I saw in her... Yes, ...was just this remarkable individual who clearly had so much anguish pent up inside her, but was a generous soul who gave so much more to other people than what she really needed to, given what she'd been through. Wow. So she is getting threats, um, or her her life is being threatened. Is that what you're it saying? Was. Yeah, it was. I yeah, guess in order to... I guess all the... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, that's why she was so relieved when Maxwell was not uh, not, given, not given bail. Well, all right, but surely Maxwell has people who she can pay. I mean, I don't know that she would come and kill somebody herself, but surely she has people who she could pay to do the dirty deeds. I think it was more to do with Epstein uh, than it was Maxwell. Uh, in terms of the uh-huh. threats and the intimidation. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, that kind of makes me think of um, the forensic psychiatrist in Weinstein's case who uh, the, who had a car accident during the trial. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where it seemed like the implication was that they were trying to get rid of her, to, you know, too. Um, so, yes, um... It really does. I mean, you mentioned some of the things as far as, like, relation. It's very hard for these people to have relationships, romantic or sexual relationships. It's hard to, or even friendships, really. It's hard to trust people. Um, it's just every part of your world is shaken. And um, certainly, um, certainly they, a lot of, I mean, therapy can certainly help, of course, but uh, it takes years. Yeah, and, and, and listen, I'm not privy to this individual's um, uh, treatment that she may or may not have received. All I can say is I was blown away when she told me because I guess my admiration of her was built off the back of just how nice of an individual this person was how she actually Mm -hmm. cared for other people. And then to think that behind that was this heinous crimes or a series of heinous crimes that have been perpetuated upon her, you know, my heart broke. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that that is amazing that, um, that she was able to do that even after what she had gone through. Um, we're kind of getting close to the end of time here. Um, what I'll, I'll leave it. I'll, we have like two minutes left or so. So, um, what what would you like to say in the in the last minutes that we have left? Well, I think it's going to be very fascinating to see what what plays out here. Will Maxwell uh, attempt to take a plea deal and avoid a trial? Likely have the perjury charges knocked off and she'll serve 20 years in jail and most likely will die behind jail, um, in jail, I should say. Will she fight the case? I think most defence experts would say take on the Southern District of New York at your own peril. It's very, mm. very a notoriously difficult prosecu- prosecutorial body, uh, one that has likely a very unimpeachable case against Maxwell, or does she become informant? Uh, in exchange for for a lesser sentence. I can't help but think that they're still going to throw the book at her 
and she's still going to face a significant amount of jail time because we're living in a, in a society and culture that wouldn't accept her cooperation um, as a get-out-of-jail-free card. So I think that what's going on behind the scenes at the moment is a excessive game of brinksmanship between Maxwell's camp and the Department of Justice, and I'm at a loss to explain which way I think it will go. Well, it certainly would be interesting if she did um, strike a deal where she tells on famous people, (laughs) you know. um, I mean, it's already really been... I mean, even just in the Lifetime documentary and in other things, um, and in your book, you know, it's certainly, there's been enough that's come out about uh, Clinton and about Prince Andrew and so on. I, I don't know that it would be, I'm not sure how much, I mean, I guess she has the final damning evidence, but um, everybody, it seems like people are sort of, or people who, who could be in trouble are holding their breath uh, to see whether the, the next, the last, the, the second shoe is going to fall. Um, during whatever is going to be happening to her. Well, uh, Dylan Howard, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Uh, and uh, we will be excited to, <laughs> excited to see what comes next in your uh, literary, in your best-selling literary career um, in regard to this or other scandals. Uh, where you go behind the scenes and you somehow manage to get things that nobody else can get. So thank you for sharing this with us. And My thank you all for listening. My absolute pleasure, and thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 